Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sulcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we welcome everyone back to 2024. Just the same as before, but of one thing you can be sure, my puns will be just as unapologetically poor. We debate whether it's enquiry or inquiry, which might be a little bit confusing in an audio-based medium, but a little confusing is the general feeling in the room of the federal government's flood inquiry, enquiry. Sure, it's February, and it's our first podcast of the year, but we're not stopping to smell the roses. Yes, we're already looking ahead with the ICA to the federal budget in May. That's the royal we, obviously. Personally, I'm looking forward to the upcoming Taylor Swift tour. And Lloyd's Chris McKinnon will be leaving these shores. I like to call Chris a close personal friend, but unfortunately, he just won't let me. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Senior Journalist Benice Han, Editor John Deeks, and Chairman Terry McMullen. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Andrew. Twelve months ago, I asked you on the pod, who would still be here in 2024? Were your predictions right? Well, not really, because I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. That is true. Yes. Welcome, Benice. Hi, Andrew. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? Uh, plenty. Are they still in? Uh, are they still in action? No. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. I seem to recall that you don't do New Year's resolutions. Is that still true? That is still true. I didn't even give it a moment's thought, actually. <laughs> <laughs> And hello, John. Hi. How's your start to the year going? Well, not too bad. The weather's doing pretty well at the moment, isn't it? Even for Melbourne. Well, just for a change, we'll start with Wendy. You've been listening to the federal government's flood inquiry, Wendy. Insurers have come under some fire, haven't they? Yeah, well, the hearings uh, kicked off last week and they started with consumer groups and financial counsellors. So, and as those groups say, when people come to them, things have gone wrong. So this inquiry has started off with a lot of discussion about claims being denied on vague assertions and issues with wear and tear exclusions and financial counsellors brought up some, you know, terrible examples of all sorts of bad behaviour and hostile and inconsiderate tactics against vulnerable consumers. consumers. And we also have heard from the regulators as well. So it was the insurer's turn on Monday, you know, and they acknowledged in some cases things didn't go as they should. And and ICA's Andrew Hall apologised again for that. And they've committed to improve across a range of areas. And while they've also pointed out that, you know, when they entered 22, with an, that they already had a high level of claims and issues were remaining from COVID and just everything got an awful lot worse as they were hit by the record floods. But the the hearings are really covering a lot of ground um, on the issues affecting home cover and rising premiums, including around reinsurance, planning issues and, and policy wordings. And, you know, it's early days. Is this just a case of damage limitation with these sorts of public hearings, Terry? Well, yes and no. Uh, we've all been aware of the, the scale of these floods, which were huge, and it's always a good idea to examine where things went wrong because things usually do go wrong in large-scale recoveries. A public inquiry is sometimes a positive way to turn up systemic issues, I guess, things that might otherwise go unnoticed. But the industry also has a good case to put in relation to flood cover and risk. So the main thing you have to, I think, worry about is, is the victim statements, which sometimes reveal some pretty awful stuff and behaviour. And there's also a certain amount of political grandstanding to be endured, like where the chief executive of ICA gets to represent us all and being sorry. 
I don't don't think they're going to be asking councils and state governments whether they're sorry at allowing people to put houses in, in ridiculous places. Well, how does it compare to the Royal Commission hearings of 2018, John? Yeah, probably not quite as painful as that. I think the big difference there was that they had the consumers themselves giving testimony. So we had, uh, you know, vulnerable people in tears describing how awful their insurer had been, etc. and so on. We haven't had that this time, so it hasn't been quite as emotive, but there's still, as Wendy says, been some pretty, pretty unpleasant stories and insurers have been called liars, bullies, gaslighters, all sorts, really. You know, as Terry says, it was a massive event. Things are going to go wrong in certain circumstances, and uh, there is broad acceptance now um, in these hearings that, you know, things weren't great at times. As Wendy explained, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I think the more important thing now, I mean, there was a point where one of the MPs was just haranguing uh, Andrew Hall and trying to get him to admit that he was embarrassed and ashamed and all these kinds of things. I'm not sure there's too much point to that. Uh, more, more crucial, really, is what happens next time. Uh, and how we can make sure some of these problems don't crop up in the next uh, major disaster. And, um, you know, it's not all on insurers, really, is it? I mean, as uh, as Terry talks about the uh, floodplains issue, if there weren't so many homes built in stupid places in harm's way, there wouldn't be so many claims at, at these times. So it is a multi-stakeholder uh, multi, um, kind of problem to solve. And hopefully from this inquiry, there can be some genuine attempts to, to to solve it. Well, looking ahead to the federal budget in May, John, the ICA has put forward a pretty detailed submission. Yes, that's right. So uh, we all know about cost of living and insurance is a big part of that. It actually makes quite a few uh, mainstream headlines at the moment because while inflation is calming down in some areas, uh, it's not in insurance. So um, yeah, it's a very topical issue and, and one that the government may look to address in the next budget. We hear whispers that uh, the government is looking at a package of measures to try and deal with insurance affordability. So we'll wait and see if that materialises. But the Insurance Council is obviously keen to try and make sure that any money that is spent on this problem is spent in the right way. So in its pre-budget submission, uh, there's a list of measures uh, and they include old favourites like investing in mitigation but also some new ideas like they have suggested a, a 250 million a year fund to be invested in 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 home buybacks um so yeah we need to move some of those most uh, most vulnerable homes out of harm's way and uh, the insurance council is suggesting 250 million a year from the federal government matched by states and territories so not a small amount of money there's also suggestions on cyber security state taxes of course we've had some progress on the new south wales emergency services levy, but all the states and territories except ACT still charge stamp duty on insurance, which is silly and puts premiums up. And yeah, then they get into the issue of public liability insurance and the issues that um, certain sectors are having getting that cover. So yeah, there's plenty there for the government to consider if it does want to try and help bring premiums down. Well, some of these are not new ideas, Terry, but does the cost of living crisis give the ICA more traction? Yeah, I reckon it must. The insurance industry has more right than most to push for projects that up until recently would have been respectfully acknowledged and then ignored. And the cost of living issue is huge for this government, and we're right in the middle of that. And so is, is climate change-related stuff. ICA is lobbying these days is 
pretty damn good. Uh, so I'd expect the ICA submission to be received with rather more reverence and respect than once a, might have been the case. The consultation on genetic testing and life insurance continues. Benice, how are things shaping up? Yeah, so uh, consultation closed last month and uh, we've seen a common theme in the submissions that we are tracking. So basically that's uh, like a support for a government regulation. So um, life insurers through the Council of Australian Life Insurers or CALI um, is backing strict, are backing strict rules around the use of genetic test results. So they, they basically want, want a ban on, on the use of genetic tests, but they, they also want some exclusions to guarantee what they say is a fairness for everyone. So for instance, people should still be allowed to voluntarily disclose a genetic take genetic test and, and then if any for and for an insurer to take it into account if it is to that person's benefits. And then um Insurers should also be still allowed to ask for test results. And then we also covered the submission from the Actuaries Institute. Um, they also want legislation by way of setting a financial limit, uh, which is one of three options flagged in the Treasury consultation. So essentially, the financial limits will define the thresholds at which insurers cannot request or utilize uh, adverse testing results in their underwriting. So um, we, we'll have to see what Treasury decides then, yeah. Where do you think this will end up, John? Well, it seems to be going on only one way, doesn't it? There's another submission I've seen this morning from the Australian Medical Association, which again stresses the the real change that genetic testing and genomic research could have on healthcare in Australia. Um, but it's only going to work if people feel comfortable to go and get those tests and it if they feel like they could be sort of frozen out of life insurance, then that could well well put people off. As Bernice says, though, the, the, the Council of Australian Life Insurers does make a few points, one of which is that um, if someone is diagnosed with a condition, they should still declare it, uh, even if that con- condition was diagnosed as a result of a genetic test. Uh, I, I guess you can't be in a situation where the insured has information about a disease that they have and the insurer doesn't because then you could get into um, situations where people are taking out cover on, on the basis of that diagnosis and and and, and actually sort of increasing their uh, level of insurance and all the rest of it. So, yeah, there's a few crinkles to be ironed out perhaps, but uh, for the most part, it all seems to be heading one way. Well, Lloyd's Chris McKinnon has uh, been an influential figure in Australia, but he's leaving these shores, Benice. Yeah, that's right. Um, he's been Lloyd's head of Australia and New Zealand for nine years. So he'll be relocating to Singapore for a bigger role in April as a regional director for the Asia Pacific, Middle East and Africa markets. So he's he'll be t- he's going to take over from Ian Ferguson, who will be retiring at the end of the year. So it's all part of a planned succession by Lloyd's. I mean, Lloyd's did announce that Chris will be deputizing for Ian uh, last year. So and under Chris, uh, Lloyd's has grown its business in the Australian market. So they were writing about two billion worth of premium return in 2015. So at the end of last year, it was about like 4.6 billion. And the number of cover holders has also grown. I mean, from uh, to 160 from 90 during the nine years under Chris uh, Chris's leadership. Well, Chris will leave big shoes to fill, Terry, but he's... Uh still have an overview of this market. 
Yeah. Hey, and it's good to see a, a local boy doing well in the, the Lloyd's universe. Um, Chris has been a, a, had a really big impact on the, the local market in the time that he's been working at Lloyd's and he's been a familiar figure for a long time. This new job is going to make him a high flyer in that he's going to be living on airliners. By the way, Chris will be a keynote speaker at our Where Is Insurance Going conference in Sydney on March 19. He's going to be explaining, among other things, the the international linkages that underpin uh, Australian risks and how reinsurers are relating to our little lump of paradise and its unique risks. Chris is, is certainly going to be missed locally, but I think he's uh, I think he's in an ideal position to also represent, in many ways, the Australian point of view in Lloyd's. Finally, Wendy, AFCA broke the 100,000 barrier last year, but this is not good news. No, it's not because we're talking about complaints um, and they've received 102,790 complaints last calendar year, which is a 22% increase. And that resulted in $304 million in compensation uh, payments. And that, that's, of course, across all areas AFCA uh, covers, not just uh, insurance. But across all that, um, home building insurance was the fourth, mo- fourth most complained about product. Delays in claim handling were the second most common issue. And the number of complaints there jumped to 20%. Uh, payment amounts and claim denials were also in the, the top five uh, complained about issues and there were an increase in both those areas. So, um, you know, Chief Ombudsman David Locke says firms should be doing a better job of handling complaints internally in the first place uh, so that they don't have to get to AFCA. And, and that is something that we've been uh, hearing a lot about recently, even, you know, as part of this uh, floods inquiry. Is it a case of not handling the, those complaints properly or is it more a case of consumers not happy with the results and going going to Africa? I think it's uh, probably both. But a lot of those decisions are, are going against the insurers, so they're not spurious complaints. Well, this is a serious problem, isn't it, John? Yeah, I think I think it is. I mean, AFCA is, is a vital service, a vital free service for uh, insureds if they're not happy with the performance of or the behaviour of their insurer. And... Um, you know, we've we've heard in the flood inquiry that you know insurers have admitted that sometimes things don't go right, and 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 people need to be able to go to Africa sometimes. But yeah, if 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 Africa's swamped with complaints, then they're not going to respond in a timely manner, and people are just going to be left hanging. We've heard of sort of delays with Africa complaints lasting months, even years. So it's not great. We need an ombudsman system that works effectively and efficiently. So that if somebody disagrees with their insurer and the insurer's response is not good enough, then there is a referee there that can that can set it right and everyone can move on with their lives. What happens now, I don't know. Africa may need to increase its staffing levels for the time being. Um, and yeah, as Wendy says, insurers need to have a look at their internal dispute resolution processes to make sure that Complaints only go to Africa when absolutely necessary. Well, that brings us to the end of the first episode of Insight Podcast by Insurance News for 2024. Thank you once again to our panel, Wendy Pugh, John Deeks, Bernice Han and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. 
You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Inside Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.